0: Welcome back to the Return the Picks podcast. No jazz or Dave this week. So we actually had some intelligent football debate and it didn't come from myself at all. Richard Graves, the man on the ground for NFL Network when they come to the London Games. Join me and Joe Arrigo, large and in charge in Las Vegas as the co-founder and VP of the Franchise Sports Media Network, covering all things Vegas sports so of course with Richard being a Dallas Cowboys fan and Joe having to cover the Raiders and also being a Green Bay Packers fan gave us plenty to talk about going into this week
1: Over the middle Picked off Season it fired Intercepted
2: Blitz coming
1: Pass is picked off
0: He's going to go looking again. And it's picked off by Stephon Gilmore. Down
1: on the right sideline. Into the end zone and he's picked off. Back the other way.
0: Oh, great. uh, I mean, it's pretty mental in Vegas at the moment anyway for you, right, Joe? Because you've got, obviously, preparations for the new Formula One coming in in November next year. You've obviously had the Aces win in the WNBA. The Raiders yep. start, and the Raiders don't exactly start too brightly, but there's still a lot of talk about how the Raiders are going to do this year. I mean, you're a busy right. man right now in the world of their sport.
2: And, and honestly, high school football is what keeps me the most busiest, and UNLV football, the college, I right hear. So it's it's nonstop for us. It's you know our weekends, like the actually the two days I have kind of like off, but I still do all the office stuff. Are Wednesday and Thursday. I, we record all of our shows on for, on Tuesday which we had to move because of the parade so we do a lot of that today um we moved a lot of our content a day out now it's because of the parade because we want to do a lot of Aces stuff today um but our high school football coverage is crazy our UNLV coverage is is through the roof because they're winning now with the Raiders losing yeah it's it's and and then with the aces when they were playing it was that was a every weekend thing as well so it was just it was nuts when that one- is there any heat on McDaniel yet? No, and, and no, but where I think Heat needs to lie is actually Derek Carr, if I'm being honest. Um, and we can talk about that if you want. You know, I'm, I have, I have a, I don't say it's a beef, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to let him pass for the things that he was saying in the offseason. And then, um, to come out and perform like he did in the first two weeks that's unacceptable for a guy that's good that yeah. claims to be a five top five quarterback and one 40 million dollar man and you know like you can't you can't and then and like how how is it's inexcusable that you have the best receiver in the game and he has two catches on sunday two catches and, yeah and, and you don't get him the ball in crunch time at all like he doesn't like you're going to everybody else but him i mean i i, I don't I've said this before. I think Devontae is going to look at things a little differently after the season, um, maybe even with their friend. I don't know, maybe not the friendship, but the working relationship. Um, when you come from Aaron Rodgers, where the demand is up here and you yeah. know the execution and excellence and the standard, and then Derek Carr has always been right here, that's a huge yeah. drop for a guy that aspires to be the greatest receiver of all time.
0: How do you mean with the working relationship changing? As in they're not going to be a as buddy buddy off the field or or what? Like- well,
2: I mean, well, I I, for, I guess they'll be buddy buddy off the field, but I I think he's not gonna he's not gonna make excuses for him. You know, I mean, you know, you, the, this year, yeah, okay, but like you 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 let, you convinced me to leave a situation where we're going to the playoffs for sure because their division sucks with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback. We have a chance to win a stuff. That defense is gonna be phenomenal. I mean, Quay Walker had a play, and it, it doesn't get talked about enough on the Sunday night game when Justin Fields uh scrambles the score. Quay Walker takes a, a, a great route to him, but no Packer linebacker in the last maybe ever has that type of speed to close and push, push him out of bounds. And you gotta, you know, that's a difference maker right there. So you got a defense, plus you're yeah. Your defense at your corners and your secondary is crazy. So, um, you leave that to come here and you took less money to come here to play with your friend and your friend's not doing the job. And I think it's interesting. The Raiders have a 72 hour window after the season ends on whether or not to pick up the options that they signed David Car- or Derek Carr to. So, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they keep him. Um, beyond this year because I know there's certain high ranking members of the organization that aren't necessarily in his corner. Yeah.
0: I mean, do you know he- what it,
2: it, it's quite interesting
1: listening to to this conversation because it it has parallels to conversations I've heard in Dallas especially after the loss to the 49ers in the the postseason last time around when I don't know CD Lamb got the the ball I don't know 3 4 times if that um and the the argument was if he's meant to be your number one receiver, same with Amari Cooper at the time, even if he's double covered, how can you not scheme ways, find ways to get him the ball? When in LA, everybody knows that Cooper Cups where the ball's going to, and they still get him the ball in the clutch in the Super Bowl. He makes plays. Um, And I I was beginning to think it was unique to Dallas um, until you see what happened with the Raiders at the weekend. And you're like, (laughs) your, your main man, Biggest name free agent signing who has been ripping it up um, in green Bay for the last five, six, seven seasons. You can only get him the ball twice. Are you
2: kidding me against that Arizona secondary at the moment? I think that's the difference between an elite quarterback and a guy that thinks he's elite. I mean, Matthew Stafford, when healthy is, I'll say top six in the league. I mean, arm talent, he's near the top, but everything, I mean, yeah, he throws some picks, Um, but overall Matt Stafford, is an elite quarterback. Yeah, I don't think Derek Carr is. You know, and and I think he's yeah. he's a, a good quarterback, a game manager, but to to command forty million dollars and the way he went about it, like to say, to kind of compare himself to Aaron Rodgers and to compare himself to, um, you know, being a top five guy. Like I, I don't, I don't. You know, he he's the fourth best quarterback in his division. How are you a top five guy? You know, I mean. Yeah. But- and when you're being paid that, that sort of money, you need to have spells in a game when you can put the
1: team on your, uh, an engineer to win yourself. And Derek Carr, much like I've got to say Dak Prescott's still got to, and it, no, Derek Carr can't
2: do that at the moment. Exactly. But- and, and, I, and I, go Carr, ahead. Carr, has
0: the, Carr still has a bit of a backstory in the, you know, I mean, much like that you could argue he had his name in in the mvp race at points last year Carr was going to arguably be be the league mvp until he uh, got his leg broken uh what four or five years ago now like he's had he's had those he's had those years of pedigree and not only that he's been in a pretty rough situation when the raiders were in oakland until they kind of brought in gruden and mike mayock to what they thought was (coughs) going to be smooth things over and settle the ship and kind of build around Carr and that possible ability so I, I, th- I can share so-
2: this with you off okay. the record. Off the record,
0: okay. We'll, we'll cut record. this from the from the podcast. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, no, you can leave it. Oh, you can leave it in. Oh, no, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I was told by a high ranking official that the year Kyler Murray came out, the Raiders kicked a field goal, which had them lose the number one pick to win a game. That Derek Hart wouldn't have been the quarterback after that season. It would have been Kyler Murray. And the only reason why Derek Carr remained a Raider for as long as he was was because John Gruden was the only person in his corner in the organization. Yeah. So wow. you can take that how you want to take it. Um, I just, you know, it's not that I dislike Derek Carr. I mean, I, but I mean, if you're going to get paid $40 million, um, you got to play like a $40 million quarterback. It goes, it's like that with, you know, with anybody, if you're, LeBron James and you're making $50 million a year. You better play $50 million worth of basketball. Isn't that, that on the season.
0: franchise as well though? Like the franchise oh, are willing to pay him. Like it, it's not Carr's fault. He's gone out and got his money. I mean, this is what all these NFL players are doing right now. And uh, all athletes are doing is they they see their name at a certain point and they say, I'm going to go and get that money when I can and maximize my own value. And if a team is foolish enough to pay that 40 million, that doesn't make Carr a $40 million mm. quarterback. That just makes him worth $40 million to the Las Vegas Raiders. No, well, sure, uh, but he,
1: here's the kicker, you know, um, if if it d- did come to pass uh, and the Raiders went out and got Kyler Murray, um, do, do we are we sure that the Raiders would be a better team right now with Kyler Murray than Derek Carr? i no, not. A, I don't well, think they would be at all. No. I
2: I, I think there's the better possibility because you now you have up until this year when he signed his new deal, you have the 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 ticket, the golden ticket, which is a really good quarterback on a rookie deal, which allows you to bring in better players around him where, where you don't where with Carr. I mean, he, he signed a deal where he was a top five quarterback at that time when he signed after, you know, and then he turns around and and then comes out and says publicly um, the Raiders need to show me a commitment. Well, you're the one that said, correct me if I'm wrong. You're the one that said that you didn't know whether or not you were going to be there because of the new coaching staff. Mm. And you're the one that, you know, show you a commitment you've been to one playoff series and you even un- you have to score a touchdown and you throw to somebody in front of the goal line so he wouldn't have even scored so you're talking about a commitment like joe burrow takes a team with you know with basically him jamar chase joe Mixon, in a, a ragamuffin offensive line and leads him to a super bowl so i mean you're gonna talk about commitment like come on dude like no, there's no commitment. There's there's no that was you wanting to get paid, and and then what he did to some some media people as far as like throwing a couple guys, you know, kind of taking shots at them when when in a press conference when they had nothing to do with anything. That was fraudulent too, because those are the guys that kind of seen the true colors and have called them out in in the past, and and that's something that. You know, he, he goes into a press conference and they can't defend themselves in a press conference as members of the media. What are you going to get into an arguing match with him in there? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not going to happen. So so you take that as you're a fake tough guy at that point. And, and then you have your brother go to the media and in the NFL media and he's the one that's airing all the dirty laundry. But he's getting it from you. It's, it's not brain surgery. It's like, you're not the smartest guy in the room, bro. Like <laughs> let's, let's be, let's kind of like pull the curtain back a little bit and just If you're going to be that guy, then be that guy and own it. You know, you know, a, a great example is Kobe, Kobe Bryant. You know, when I covered him in LA was the most honest athlete I've ever met in my life. Period. Point blank. He was, you know what? Yeah. I said it. Paul Gasol, you, you, you're the white swan. You you got you gotta be a black swan. Or, you know, whatever it was, or jobs not finished, or you know, smush Parker and whomever. Like he 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 dogged he dogged the guys that needed to be dogged when they needed to in order to make them better. If you look at Derek Carr, who is he actually made better in his career? I mean, Darren Waller. I mean, Darren Waller, he goes to if you put him on Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Dallas, I would say Dallas even with Mike McCarthy, who loves tight ends, uh San Francisco. Darren Waller's still a top five tight end.
0: Mm.
2: You, you, sure. Devontae Adams made a lot of money in Green Bay. You know, he, that wasn't because of Derek Carr. You look, you know, Amari Cooper is the same player he was. Michael Crabtree's out the league. You know, those are guys are his best friends. Zay Jones isn't a great player. He's down in Jacksonville. He got paid, but he he's he's a, he's a good player, but it's not like Carr made him. An elite player, and I think that's part of that's part that's part of the deal. If you're going to get paid that much money, you have to make the guys around you better.
0: And you can't make Devonte Adams look better when Aaron Rodgers has been making him look like the best. I mean, nobody could touch Adams and Rogers, and so Carr can only go down in terms of that standard that was set, and and his his playing level, I guess, is never going to be at that of Aaron Rodgers. So Devonte Adams. But this is, always is the opportunity look worse he's
1: on. being given now, isn't it? Pardon me. This is the opportunity he's been given, though now, isn't it? Because he can say, "Well, he's never had the the talent um, to to use in terms of the weapons on the outside." Well, now he has. Devonte Adams has come to play with him, and look, you've only got two games to look at, so it's not necessarily a fair reflection right now. But if it's a if this is a sign of things to come, this is going to go south pretty quickly. Well, you're. You
2: can't and you're let right Leeds about two games like
0: that as well. You can't let a league go yes. like they had against Arizona. It's the manner of the loss that's really, really shocking, particularly, yeah. particularly this uh, week
2: if, if, if two points to to that. you're right about the two games um Barry Sanders, the year he ran for two thousand yards in the first two games he had 53 yards rushing, and he had running for two thousand yards. so that there is a pause because it's you know so early into into season um but to me, it wasn't the fact that he had two catches, the fact that he wasn't targeted in overtime or late in the fourth quarter, when you need something, that's when you, that's what you pay him for. You don't pay LeBron for his first three quarters. You pay LeBron or you paid Kobe or you paid Jordan or insert the superstar to finish and close games. Um And you're right in that in that fourth quarter, I think McDaniels should take a little, a little heat because Josh Jacobs didn't see the ball. And at one point Devontae Adams was on the sideline. So you can't have that in you can't have that if you're, if you're the Raiders and you're Josh McDaniels. Um, but I don't, but this isn't the same Josh McDaniels that was in Denver. And, and I want to be clear about that. He he's, he's a lot different. He's more uh, open and amendable. Uh, he's listens more. It's not his way or the highway. Josh McDaniels has done a good job of changing culture there. Him and Dave Ziegler, the general manager, done a really good job of changing culture. And, and I got to commend them on that. I've been to a, a, numerous practices and to see what they're doing and how they're doing it. You know, when you have your starting center and your starting quarterback running laps because of a fumbled snap, your $40 million quarterback and your, you know, whatever you're paying the center, that that says something about it right there. What he's trying to build.
0: Just before, because we need to, we need to obviously get away from, from the Raiders as well. It's loads to talk about in terms of the NFL and this weekend. And, and I definitely want to talk to Rich about, I mean I don't want to talk to to Rich about the Cowboys but we're going to have to at some point because <laughs> that's where we are at this point in the world right now. But in terms of in terms of Vegas and the Raiders is Vegas going to be like kind of an LA or maybe even uh, the Florida sides like in Miami? When you're winning, people will love you. If you're not, no one will care. And there's pop around the Raiders at the start of this season. There were bottles being popped in like the champagne room in the stadium and all that kind of stuff. Because it's like a club at certain areas in the, in the Death Star there in Vegas.
2: You've but, been there. You've been there with yeah, me. Yeah, Come really, on. Did you good. see what it's like. It's, it's great. <laughs> I'm
0: a big fan. But also, is it going to be one of those places where if this doesn't get sorted out early, the city looks and kind of goes now nah, we won't take as many tickets to that game. And actually it will become a bit like the Chargers had a, a stub hub where it's kind of an away game. Every time you go into that city, because people want to go to Vegas for gambling anyway. I mean, it seems Raiders heavy now, but could that tide turn? I mean, does the city really care that much or they just care about yes. winning?
2: No, they, they believe me there's there. The, the first of all, like the city loves winning. This is one city. If you're a winner, you can write your own to Mark Davis has bought himself a lot of free meals, with the Las Vegas Aces winning the WNBA championship. Um, and Mark understands that it's different than the chargers because the fan base is better. I mean, Raider nation is by far, they're going to ride or die with this team they're, they're not going to not sell out a game. The stadium, I mean, the stadium, everybody wants to be there tickets are, I mean, yeah, they're expensive, but if you can get in there and go like people are are clamoring for tickets, um, and there was in the ironic part was with them is when the Golden Knights their inaugural season they went to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Mm. That gave that took away any honeymoon period for the Raiders because it's like okay, well their first year here and they're going to the championship series. So when the Raiders came in, they finished above. It was the pandemic year. They finished above 500 or at 500. Then last year they went to the playoffs in an epic, you know week 17 final game against the chargers, which I still think they should have tied purposely just to screw the Steelers. And that would have been hilarious, (laughs) but that's, I lost, I lost money
0: on that. I I immediately (laughs) went as soon as it came about, they could tie. I put bunny on that being a tie. I would have had like 250 quid or something like that.
2: Oh, that'd have been, that'd have been phenomenal. But um, I don't think that, you know, if they, if the Raiders don't make the playoffs this year, I I don't think it's going to be considered um, a failure of a year. Because you look at the Sandy, you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, and they have the best quarterback in that division, in my opinion. And what they have defensively is just—I mean—they're the best defense in the division. You look at Kansas City, and I actually thought Kansas City's the third best team potentially because I, I don't trust that receiving core, and there's some questions in the secondary, in my opinion, uh, as well as offensive line. You look at Denver, you know, Russell Wilson, when it's in snow, he doesn't play great. If you look at the numbers of Russell Wilson in snow, you know, and it's obviously snow's in Denver, Colorado. So we'll see what happens there. And, and I think there's questions, uh, you know, defensively. And I th- even think with the running game, um, I think, you know, I know Melvin Gordon's there, but I still think that there's still questions there. And then you look at the Raiders and you add Chan- Chandler Jones and you have Max Crosby, you bring in Devontae Adams, you re-sign Der- you re-up Darren Waller and Renfro and, and they make a trade today for um for an offensive tackle from the New England Patriots uh to shore up the right side of the line and the guy that's familiar with with the offense um I really think that at the end of the day the Raiders could turn this thing around if it doesn't, if it doesn't, it's not a problem to me it's not a problem this year. I think next year it could be but not this year
0: okay. Yeah, it's, so not all hope is lost then if it doesn't work out with car Adams and everything like that at this point. No. There's there's a bit of breathing room, which is rare, I think, in modern day sports anyway. Um, Rich, let's talk about your Cowboys. Uh, they've got some breathing room or they had some breathing room going into this <laughs> weekend because even you said to me, I think the quote was, 10 and a half seems like a very good spread to take. Take the Bengals beating the spread at 10 and a half. This could get really ugly. And you'd given up after that first week of the season on this Cowboys team.
1: Hey, look, I'll be honest with you. I did some work last weekend and that was one of the games I picked. And I said, I think the spread was seven and a half. Bengals were favoured. Snap your hands off. I didn't think 10 was going to be enough. And yet... God darn if Cooper Rush doesn't go out and he's two for two in career starts in the NFL. Uh, and for all the the stick that Mike McCarthy had taken, and believe me, the local media in the Fort Worth area was hot last week on Mike McCarthy. And he goes out, opening drive of the game. You've got fourth and two on your own 43, 44-yard line. And it wasn't just a, a safe dump-off pass. It was a 17-yard completion to... Probably the the fourth receiver on your depth chart, Noah Brown, who makes a great grab. And in your opening two drives, you find the end zone um, on both occasions. I think that's the first time in in something like 20 years that Dallas uh, have scored two touchdowns from their opening two possessions. Um, And suddenly you're 14-3 up against the Bengals. And then this defense came out to play. And if anybody can tell me how the heck – you managed to game plan and stop Micah Parsons right now. Mm. The floor is yours because this guy is nigh-on unstoppable. 18 career starts in the NFL, 17 sacks. Since sacks became an official recorded stat in the early 80s, nobody, not Lawrence Taylor, not DeMarcus Ware, not Von Miller, nobody has had that stat to their name. And this was a guy that was drafted 12th overall as a linebacker. So... Yeah, this time last week, the sky was falling in. There was no grace period. The season was over for Dallas. Well, now you're one-on-one. Cooper Rush has shown something. If you can eke out another win before Dak Prescott comes back. Heck, you're playing in the NFC East. Anything's possible. It's not a great division. Um, oh, speak so, for yourself, so, mate. Speak for yourself. Okay, I, I tell you what, the that, NFC that, least. Those, those are the words uh, of an Eagles fan who can't believe his team are 2-0 and right now, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, but, you know, look, you're, you're one-on-one. If Cooper Rush can eke out another win and you get to week five and at worst you're two and three, well, it's game on in the NFC East. So, and make no mistake, if that's going to happen, yes, Cooper Rush is going to have to make some plays, but it's going to be on the back of this defense. And um, given what I saw from the way Dallas schemed it, great credit to Dan Quinn against the Bengals last weekend. We'll talk about those no doubt later, but I think they've got problems right now. Um, But Micah Parsons, he just keeps getting better and better.
2: I got a serious question. How much of this the the offense being stagnant is on McCarthy and how much is on Kellen Moore I mean is really not calling question. the plays
1: really good question uh, and I think that there's a train of thought that at some point this season if things aren't going particularly well Mike McCarthy is going to take the play calling juices off Kellen Moore because let's be honest it's his ass that's on the line right now um everybody knows Sean Payton's waiting there in the wings and Jerry's desperate to, to get him in. He has been since he left in 2006 or whenever it was. So if you're Mike McCarthy and you've built your career on being an offensive mind and, you know, Kellen Moore was there when McCarthy took the job, his offensive coordinator was in place and put on him. Well, if you're going to go down, you're going to go down, pulling your own plays. And I think the problem you've seen with Kellen Moore, because the national media and Tony Romo is, chief cheerleader amongst it. You heard him again on Sunday night. This is a guy that's going to be head coach. The, the national media seem to to love Kellen Moore and seem to think he's destined for great things. Well, I will tell you the last two years, the Dallas Cowboys offense has started through September like a house on fire, and then it sort of drifts away. Um, You know, they're the number one ranked t- team in total offense last season, but that team through November and December that offense wasn't moving the ball particularly well. They were beating up on the Eagles and the commanders uh, and the giants, but outside of the NFC East, they were beating no one. Heck, even the Cardinals came into town on the back of a losing skid and got away with a win that the Raiders came in on Thanksgiving and had their way with them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Kellen Moore, for anybody that's followed it closely has got an awful lot to prove. Um, And I think you saw a hint of Jerry Jones following that defeat to, to the Buccaneers, not call him out, but effectively say things have got to be better. And then I thought it was really interesting. Friday's news conference ahead of last weekend's game, Mike McCarthy came out with this line of, you know, Kellen's been quite fortunate. He can, can be fairly bold in his play calling um, with the offenses he's had till now. Well, this week we need to be smarter and I'll be going through the, the sheet with him before the game. So I think a lot of it's on Kellen Moore. And I think it's got to the stage now in Dallas where he is beginning to be be held to account. And it wouldn't take a lot for, for that balance to tip. Well, this Moore attitude is,
0: is the uh, kind of on-running narrative that he's had ever since he was in college, though. I mean, I remember when he was at Boise State and every single person said, he's going to get drafted, but it's not going to be high because he's not big enough, but he's the most intelligent quarterback that a lot of people have seen. He's already like a coach. And so it just feels like that that has been an easy narrative for people to run through his career without ever really questioning it. It's somebody who's had like a positive tagline around them forever. And now, I mean, Rich, you've been on this anti-Kellen Moore thing since the beginning of last season, at least when we kind of spoke about Dallas. And you kind of said, I don't trust Moore that much in terms of the play calling and everything that's going on. Uh, It's really weird how not many people get away with keeping a positive reputation hanging over them for this long without too much else coming from it. And I'm never going to say he doesn't know football. Obviously, he does. He wouldn't be in the positions that he's been in if he didn't. But finally, those cracks
1: are starting to take place in the reputation. That yeah, I, got. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm anti-Kellen Moore. Uh, all I'm saying is you can see shortcomings uh, in, in the way he calls games. Uh, you know, you've only got to look back to that Buccaneers game. What was it? Third play of the opening drive. He has a double reverse, which goes for a 13-yard loss or something in the backfield. What are you doing? It's the opening drive of the opening game of the season. Just play your offense. You're moving the ball well. You don't need to get cute. Um, And you've seen, you know, look at the the playoff loss in the wildcard game to the 49ers um, back in January when you had Cedric Wilson, I think, with a cross-field 20-yard lateral pass, which didn't work out. Again, I think that was, if it wasn't in the opening drive, it was in the second drive of the game. It looks clever. And if it comes off, everyone says, wow, how imaginative. It's getting too cute. Your offense is in Dallas, supposedly, built around your offensive line, running the ball, and then play action off off of that. Um, You know, you've got to get the fundamentals right, first and foremost. And in the games where defenses have posed questions, I, I don't think Kellen Moore has had the answers necessarily I, and I think you've also got to bear in mind what is he third year offensive coordinator four, fourth year offensive coordinator It's he, he's, he's been learning on the job he, he didn't do an awful lot of coaching in the NFL before he's promoted to offensive coordinator and people are wanting to anoint him as a mastermind head coach I think we get a little bit carried away with the Sean McVeigh halo effect well people forget Sean McVeigh was plying his trade lower down the ranks in the NFL long before he got picked up by the Rams as head coach.
2: One of the things that, you know, I know a lot about McCarthy because I'm I'm a Packers fan. So I go back to his time even before when he was the Saints offensive coordinator. He had the top-rated offense with mm. Aaron Brooks and Deuce McAllister and Joe Horn. And then he goes to San Francisco and has a horrible year, the one year under Mike Nolan, and then Green Bay hires him. I more I hired him instead of Sean Payton, which raised a lot of eyebrows at the time. <clears throat> and the one thing McCarthy was very good at was the first 15 plays, 15 to 30 plays being scripted. He's great at, at putting that together. And I was surprised when you said that, like, he'll be, he was going to be more involved and in going over to plays with Kellymore. Cause I thought knowing what I know about Mike and I have a, a small relationship with him, um, Mike's the type of guy that's he's gonna to want to know everything that's going on from from A to Z. So to, if he's not doing that, that's kind of surprising. If he hasn't like gone over the plays and or whatnot with Kellen before, well, before well the game. for
1: me, Joe, th- this was the telltale. Uh, as I say, last Friday, when pretty much unprompted, he came out in the news conference and said he would be sitting down and going through things, and we need to be smarter. Um, you, you've got to understand, I think. That, Things in Dallas are done differently. Jerry oh, Jones, yeah. people go in there and think, I can handle the Dallas Cowboys. And yeah, sure, we hear about Jerry. I think for, with the odd exception, until you actually get there and work it in that organization, you don't quite understand how it works. <laughs> um, and, and I think that probably applies to, to Mike McCarthy as well. Heck, he said flat out that he he was, shall we say, reserved with the truth. He they wanted the Dallas job that badly. He told Jerry basically what he thought. He wanted to hear, but then he's in the situation and you suddenly realise that you can't pick your offensive coordinator because Jerry's already said he's there. You realise that if you want to keep something quiet immediately after a win or loss, you can't because Jerry Jones has given his news conference to a gaggle of media before you even (laughs) stepped up to the podium. And, And that's why I say that I think this season he's on the hot seat, third year. Um, Jerry Jones he took the best part of a month following that loss to the San Francisco 49ers say Mike McCarthy was my guy and don't tell me that McCarthy wasn't irked by that because he then went on the Rich Eisen show and was probably as outspoken as at any time I've seen him be since he came to Dallas so Mike McCarthy's nobody's fool and I think he realizes now look my strength is offense. I've won a Super Bowl here. This is why I was brought to the Cowboys organization, because I've won a Super Bowl in this stadium, by the way. And if I'm going to go down, it's going to be on my terms. Uh, and I think what you saw last week, I think he probably did have a, a more of an input into those first 15, 20 scripted plays than we've seen previously, because Dallas moved the ball really well. They made some decisions that perhaps you wouldn't see them make or hadn't seen them make um in the the last couple of years and they would got two touchdowns on the board before the bengals knew what hit them
0: i mean the other thing with dallas though rich before we start getting carried away about Mike McCarthy getting involved in the <laughs> script and moving the ball well. And before we start thinking that, ah, Dak Prescott's gone, but it doesn't matter. Who, who cares? Cooper Rush is going to sort us out. Yeah, we've still only got CeeDee Lamb as our main threat. It's all fine. We don't know who our best running back is because Zeke can't run it anymore and Tony Pollard's better on the ground. But we paid Zeke money, so we got to give him the ball and get him on the field. This Bengals team, I feel like they've taken a step back massively on that offensive line and don't get me wrong Mika Parsons is a monster and if the fact that Chris Long is ringing up uh the Madden uh, Raiders to say look I'm an ex-Eagles player I played in this league and I have seen him do things that I've seen nobody do in terms of on the NFL field but this Bengals team has taken such a step back from last year and have come out of the blocks like they're their hangover after the super bowl is like they've been on a three-day bender after the super bowl and now they're starting to feel it
1: kicking there's two things i want to bring up here first of all four out of the five starters on this bengals offensive line weren't even in town uh last season as bad as it was so it's going to take time for them to mesh and get that chemistry to to work things out and um, the second thing is which i found astonishing Brian Callahan turned around after the game and said they weren't prepared for Micah Parsons to be stood up on the defensive line how the heck you're not prepared even if you're only expecting to be there for 15 20, you know 17 snaps you've got to be prepared just because he was there the majority of the game you can't come out and say well wow we we got caught with our pants down guys I mean what what are you telling people here? You're telling people that you haven't put your players in a position to succeed because as a coach, you hadn't prepared them. Seriously? Mm. And by the way, Joe Burrow's get, getting killed back there at the moment, as badly as he's been done a, a, at any time. So, yeah, I, I think the Bengals have issues. I think that offensive line in time will get better, but they're going to have to find a way and find a way quickly um, to, to resolve some of those issues and, and help their quarterback out. Otherwise you know, there's a good chance that he won't see the end of the season on the field.
2: How much of it, though, is Joe Burrow holding the ball too long trying to, for trying to look for a big play? How much of it getting out quick? I mean, last year, they had a lot of quick hitters to T. Higgins who get mixing out the backfield to the tight ends. And then he would have a chance to hit Jamar Chase steep or they would even, they'd even hit chase on dig routes and hitches and, and whatnot. I think that that could be part of it, too. But here, this is why... I go into every off season where you have, Oh, well they won the off season. They filled this need. No, there's a reason why guys are free agents and their teams didn't resign them. Like it's because they're not any good anymore. They just, they don't fit what they're doing there. And so when they go to a team like the Bengals, Oh, we've, we've shored up our offensive line. Well, if he was so good as, Team, it would have resigned them very rarely. Does a team <laughs> let somebody go because the salary cap is a farce? Like they can maneuver contracts any way they want to maneuver them. So, I so that the, there was hesitation, but part of that also goes to, I think, you know, the scouting department because, you know, you have, you know, the, your draft picks. Why not invest in the offensive line? You know, you look at teams that are successful. You, you, like Green Bay, for instance, they have six first round picks starting on their defense. They could have a seventh when Devontae Wyatt uh, comes into play, you know, at some point this season. You look at, you know, the Rams offense, how many first round picks are there. You look at how many teams have invested so heavily on the offensive line. Those teams are normally winning. And you, don't, you didn't see that. You haven't seen that with the Bengals. They've, they've done it opposite. They've invested in skill positions and try to patch together their offensive line.
0: Well, it also feels like they're, I mean, I don't think I heard Joe Mixon's name mentioned once this offseason. I'm still convinced that if he's carrying it instead of Samaje Perine in those last plays of the Super Bowl to get that yard to keep the drive going on that final drive, I think Joe Mixon gets that yard. I know Aaron Donald made an incredible play, but he, he still went under the radar throughout a large part of last year because of Chase Burrow, Chase Burrow. But I think the Bengals need to remember that they need to have a running game and they've got a really good running back in joe mixon to balance things out and to take the pressure off burrow because as you mentioned burrow may hold it for a little bit longer he does have an ability to move around a bit he's also got no help on the offensive line so to give him at least half an extra step or an extra second balance out the offense i can't remember who it was now this week but they started out with uh, three four straight running plays in the first window of the uh of the weekend's um games the kind of our six o'clock window uh, and somebody asked me, oh, it was the Saints. I'm sure it might have been the Saints, actually, uh, because Alvin Kamara was down. And they sa- and they came out with Mark Ingram, first three, four plays or so were either short dump-offs or giving the ball into Ingram's hands. And somebody said, why on earth would they do that? It's like Because they need to show that with Kamara out, they can still run the ball because that helps Winston because he's not as competent a passer as we saw later on in the game when you know that you can key in on him passing. And it's like a really simple idea in, in American football of have two sides
1: to your offense. Otherwise, everybody will pinch up on it. Here's the kicker, though, on that, Ollie. I mean, I hear what you're saying about Joe Mixon, and he's one of the better running backs in the league, and you do want to try and feed him if you're going to alleviate some of the pressure on your quarterback. Problem was, Joe Mixon was getting tackled two, three yards in the backfield through the first quarter and a half. And when you're suddenly behind on the scoreboard, that creates some pressure as well. And it's a game you're expecting to win because heck, Dallas have got a backup quarterback and they couldn't move the ball, to save their lives against the Buccaneers. Well, here you go a week later and this much vaunted offense. Not only can they not run the ball, they can't complete passes. I think their average offensive play went for 3.8 yards a play on Sunday Ooh. night. Do, do you know how bad that is? The average in the league is something like six, seven yards um, per offensive play. And here you are with all the weapons, all the glitzy glamour tools and shiny pieces that took you to the Super Bowl last year, and you can't even move the ball. They, it, they've got issues. And I, for me as well, I, this is only a personal opinion, but I think you look at what happens in preseason now and this idea that we're going to hold out our starters because we don't want them to get hurt yes. in preseason. Mm-hmm. Well, here you go, two weeks into the regular season now. And it's like there are a bunch of strangers, be it on the offensive line or be it um, in the skill positions. And suddenly you're 0 and 2. Well, now you're playing catch up and you've got an issue.
2: I agree 100%. I literally was the show I, one of the shows I do with my business partner, we talked about that uh, last week after week one. And you have three preseason games instead of four. And the fourth one was, you know, your third ones obviously the dress rehearsal, the fourth one's where you kind of see what you want to do. But the, you get them in for a series or two, just you know, just to get the the cobwebs off or whatnot, and for them to not do that any longer, it, it makes a bad brand of football. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly, and I'll say this, and I, I think I told you this, Ali, when we were in LA. I'm not a fan of the Bengals head coach. I I think he got he kind of got they got hot at the right time and. And Burrow kind of saved his tail a little bit, and mm-hmm. and and maybe his job, and and he parlayed that into you know staying a little bit longer. But I, I'm not sold on him. He wasn't the guy that I was like, oh, like, when I think of head coaches, he's not a guy in my top fifteen that I think of in the NFL.
0: I mean, Lou Anarumo, here's the took all it, the praise. Lou Anarumo took a lot of the praise for last year in the playoffs because that defense kept on stepping up. It wasn't like Zach Taylor was getting
1: covered in glory for that run most of the time, was he? Yeah, but here's the kicker going back to last week's game. I've just sort of highlighted how bad that Bengals offense was. It was only as good as that because of three ridiculous penalties that the Dallas Cowboys defense needlessly gave away to keep drives alive. It could mm-hmm. have been even worse last Sunday. So I, that's why I keep saying that they've got big cracks that aren't being papered over right now. And heck, if they suddenly go zero and three or one and four, all the, all that goodwill that was garnered last season by getting to the Super Bowl that counts for nothing.
0: The only good thing I guess is that their division is still looks like a fairly open one with the Steelers that. Mm. That was surprising this week. I didn't expect them to struggle as much as they did against the New England Patriots that, by all accounts, in the offseason were a complete disaster in terms of chemistry and coaches and players not being on the same wavelength at all. And then you've got the Ravens, who, I mean, hands up if you thought Tua vailoa was a 460-yard quarterback. I never had that, but you give him Tyreek Killing. Oh, oh you putting putting the <laughs> hand up there, right? <laughs> I didn't think
2: Tua was, I didn't look like my question with Tua was literally the only thing about Tua was arm strength. That was it. Everything else was complete, was, I mean, from IQ to what he does as a quarterback leading an offense, um, he checked all the boxes other than arm, and ironically coming out when we were talking about it, we did a draft show. I said like, he kind of is like a left-handed Drew Brees coming out. Lo and behold, that's kind of who he's like. And <laughs> and you bring up the Ravens too. Lamar Jackson today at practice wasn't throwing to receivers. He had a sleeve on his right arm. So no, so the portions that the media was there, Lamar wasn't throwing. So there may be something going on there with Lamar Jackson as well, which would really suck considering he is grossly underpaid and and he needs he needs one of those guaranteed contracts that some of these other quarterbacks have gotten.
0: But if you're, he's already turned down one to make him what the second highest paid quarterback guaranteed money in the NFL. Yeah, the I only find one... it hard to
1: have any sympathy with him at this point, yeah, you, you know, the contracts on the table and you've decided to play hardball. It's still under your rookie contracts. Good
2: luck. I, I I'll say that I, I think this is it for him in Baltimore and I could see him dipping out and going to another franchise. Obviously, um, that will pay him the money. I they I just them, they, weren't they? well they will tag him, but I mean, you could get a lot of picks for him. And if Baltimore, I mean, I think there's some bad blood between him and ownership now with this contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when you don't have an agent, you know, it's all
0: you yeah, it's
2: it, it becomes a the emotion yeah. gets involved and not it's not business. So I think that's part of the reason. But you know, even at that, like you know, the guy has been what rookie of the year MVP. He's done a Things that no other quarterback has done. He deserves. I mean, Deshaun Watson stuff ex- excluded and what he got because Jimmy Haslam just whatever happens there happens there and, and they get what they reap what they do, what they sow. But he should be the next highest paid guy. I mean, Mahomes got 500 million. What's Lamar Jackson worth?
0: Less than Patrick Mahomes. Without a doubt. Yeah. He's worth less than Patrick Mahomes. He's, le- he's worth less than whatever Justin Herbert's going to get. He's worth less than Aaron Rodgers. He is an incredible athlete. I will continue to bang this drum that he's an incredible athlete. He is not the ultimate arm at the end of the day.
1: No disrespect to Justin Herbert, but until he actually does something with the charges or wins something, you cannot say he's worse than Justin Herbert. This I, guy's I, taken I, I gotta his team agree with to the playoffs I, every year, and he's won the MVP of the league award. And you're and telling he's done me it with he no be paid receivers,
0: less? exactly. Yeah, because I, I genuinely, I completely respect him as a, a pure athlete, and the things that he does at the quarterback position may change the game. But he, to me, is—I mean, it was very funny the kind of stat that he broke of uh, outdoing Michael Vick's uh, what was it, seventy-five yard plus rushing games or something like that this week. But the key for me is that. Like Michael Vick, he needs to learn to sit in a pocket and and develop that arm that little bit more to make himself elite. I mean, they overpaid for Watson in Cleveland quite clearly, but he's nowhere near the level of quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is at. Uh,
1: uh, uh. I'm not going How to disagree you, with you on Patrick Mahomes, I, but Mahomes, Justin Herbert, I, I, come on! Oh, that's, that, I, I see, mean, that's my I man see, crush as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see flaws.
2: I see flaws with Malo- with uh, Herbert, or excuse me, with Mahomes, especially against cover two. You've seen it a lot last year. Teams that could play cover two force him really not not really blitz. They can get to him with their front four or front three. You, Mahomes has a lot of trouble with that because you know I look at it like this: every generation has the same types of quarterback. When you when I see Josh Allen. I see Dante Culpepper, same type of talent. Mm-hmm. When you see Patrick Mahomes, it's Brett Favre. When you see Tom Brady, it's Joe Montana. So you have this same, the same, the, like all the parables are all the same. Um, and for me with Lamar Jackson, I don't think it's Michael Vick. I, I think he's a better passer than Michael Vick ever was until Michael Vick went to Andy Reid in Philly, mm-hmm. where I think Lamar Jackson quite possibly could end up because of the way they like to do things in Philly. I'm just saying. God, and then I mean, well, then you, how would on, you might, feel? You might
1: hurt all his feelings here because we know he's falling in love with Jalen Hurts. Hey, I'm not falling in love with Jalen Hurts,
0: <laughs> but you can't argue with the display. The display put on on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings was everything that I was screaming at the TV that I wanted him to do in week one against the Detroit Lions in that he moved. But every time he moved, you could see he had his eyes downfield. He had his head up and he was looking to pass still. And maybe it's because the the Vikings didn't have the same level of rush. And maybe there was better protection from the offensive line. And I have been uh, not against Jalen Hurts, but I have definitely been a big critique of of Jalen Hurts since he turned up in Philadelphia and all last year. And I don't didn't buy him. But that was a game that you can't argue. It was like Josh Allen in the playoffs. I haven't been convinced that Allen has had the composure, composure, composure after all we've seen until the playoff run last year. And you're like, okay. He has made that big jump up. He he can do it in a, in a big moment. And I, I've got to say the same about Hertz. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. He he played well on Monday, even if you don't like him, Rich.
2: It's two games
0: He, he had a good
1: game Monday night. Um, Really impressed with with his <laughs> oh, leg Joe, strength. Joe,
0: don't kill it. Jeez,
1: it's two games in. Don't give me <laughs> two that. Two games. I, I mean, look. I, I'm going to help him out here. <laughs> it's, um, it's, no, I mean, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, really impressed with, with his leg strength, above all else, to get into the end zone. That was phenomenal. Um, you do you do see him with the arm and make some good throws. But I tell you what, before this season is done, you are going to see some games when you are literally tearing your hair out because Jalen Hurts is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that the Eagles are blessed with a relatively soft schedule, I think, when you look at it. This year, and I would be amazed if they don't make the postseason, quite frankly. Um, however, Jalen Hurts still has a long way to go. I'm not quite as sold on him as you are, Ollie. But, you know, we, like, if, like you say, if you've seen it with Michael Vick, so late in his career, be able to turn things around, who's to say that Jalen can't make that step up? Um, as it is, I think the Eagles have done a tremendous job of uh, surrounding him with really good pieces and you know what you've got to admire the organization for as well is that they are taking advantage of having a rookie at the most highly paid position in football. And they're using that to put a good team together. So I I think the jury's still out personally on, on Jalen hurts, but yeah, what we saw on Monday night was impressive as impressive as Kirk cousins in prime time was once again, unimpressive.
2: Well, okay. (laughs) So I'm going to say this as a Packer fan who, whose team lost to them in week one, uh, well that but then again every time minnesota plays green bay it's their super bowl because they don't ever get there so it's no big deal so i mean whatever. <laughs> but but they looked minnesota look like they can't play from behind like if you can get yeah. out ahead of minnesota they they can't play from behind i think that's indicative of their quarterback play but what i would say about Hurst, Jalen is a guy who i mean obviously a coach's son you know weight room freak so the leg strength is nothing that like I mean I, I remember what his did they very, say that
1: he he squatted six hundred pounds six hundred pounds yeah I thought
2: no. I, I thought it was six fifty at Oklahoma it, wasn't it yeah. yeah it was something crazy and wow. with with his first game against Oklahoma when he was at um Alabama it was against USC and TQ had told me he's like dude they got this quarterback they say he's a, a right handed Michael Vick bro like they put him in and he runs all around USC and they just demolish them right. And so I kind of took an interest in, I was like, let me see what this kid's about. Uh, Lincoln Riley did a great job of helping him become a better passer. There's that's, there's no doubt about that. No disrespect to Lane or or Steve um, for the work that they did with him. But when it comes to him in the NFL, I think there is a step that he's taken, but I, 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 say this every year and I caution any fans of the NFL because the first four to five weeks, it's like, it's like, Mm. it's like a clock. It's, you know, teams get out to good starts and then you get to the, then you get to the middle eight and the middle eight is, you know, I I personally like that because it's a football term they use, you know, when you talk about between the second and third quarters, right. Um, I love the middle eight because that's when you see the contenders start to separate. And then that final four is kind of like, okay, like, we we know the Bears are going to not be in the playoffs, you know, and we know the Vikings are going to do something. We're and I'm going to say this. Eight,
0: I think about the Bears. So halfway through the like, middle eight, we've realized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's where they
2: separate. But I'll say this. I think the Detroit Lions are the second best team in the NFC North. I like them more than the Bears by far, and I think that they're going to give teams fits. I like them better than the Vikings. I think Koff, he knows his limitations and he's comfortable with it. But they've embodied what their head coach, um, his personality. They're tough. They're they're not gonna give up. They play great defense. I mean, week one, they're down what 31, 14, or 34, 14, or 17, something like that. And they end up losing by three. Like they're a team that I think is is not gonna give up. There's a lot of I don't want to use grit because they use this so much in in hard knocks, but they have that 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 it factor that that you see with young teams that have a potential to become, you know, really really good teams for long periods of time.
0: I think the Lions have definitely got something about them. You saw it in week one, even if we are saying that it's a bit of a crapshoot in the first kind of four weeks of the season or so, and you can't not be impressed by the kind of comeback that they mounted when they eventually realized that putting the ball in the hands of Swift, who had another incredible touchdown this weekend, that's what their offense needs to run through in the same way that the Cleveland Browns need to just run through Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb for the majority of it. What worried me about the Vikings was it's such a dramatic drop-off in production <clears throat> from what we saw week one to week two. Uh, both defensive and offensive lines got destroyed by the Eagles on Monday night. The pressure, the pressure paid off for the secondary, of course, and it's a much more talented secondary than we had last year in Philadelphia. But it was the pressure up front with Cousins throwing off his back foot every other time. And also then the protection uh, that the, the, the defensive line wasn't able to penetrate for the Eagles.
1: Well, that's my biggest worry about the Vikings on the offensive side of the ball rather than the defensive side of the ball because whilst the Eagles had a good night um, in all aspects of the game, the Vikings' defence still made enough plays to give their offence an opportunity. And it was an opportunity that was squandered on several occasions. You're not going to get much better starting field positions than we saw in the third and fourth quarter um, for for the Vikings, and they didn't even put a point on the board. Um, Kirk Cousins... What, what is his record is it something like 60 60 and 1 yeah most... um if, yeah. if that's the case that that's the perfect summary of kirk cousins nfl career he is a middle of the road average quarterback he's not going to take to the super bowl you're not likely to finish the bottom of your division but you know some some weeks um we'll see the kirk cousins that played against the green bay packers in week 1 and others, you're just as likely to get the Kirk Cousins we saw in Philadelphia on, on Monday night. And that's
2: a problem for the Vikings. But well, I, wanted, I want his agent. I want his agent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so do I, didn't we all?
0: Well, he's the reason why people like Lamar Jackson are looking and going, I need to maximize my opportunity as well, because that's exactly what Cousins did. He was just smart. Every single time he renewed a contract or went to a new team, he did it at the perfect opportunity. There's where a difference was here, higher.
1: though. Kirk Cousins isn't a quarterback that's going to tuck the ball and run and put his body on the line. Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson is, um, and that makes you more susceptible to injury. And if you're more susceptible to injury, then I don't think you can afford to roll the dice in the same way that Kirk Cousins did.
2: Uh, And uh, to me, the difference is Lamar Jackson is the most dynamic quarterback maybe to ever play the game, even more so than Michael Vick. And that, that guy doesn't come along too often. But that like, and it,
0: that exposes him to what Rich has just said as well though. You know, no, as a, absolutely. As, a, as an owner, as a as a operator in the franchise, you're going to look at that and think, well, he is great, but he could be one hit away from never getting up again, you know.
2: But if you if you have him for, let's say you sign him to like a a 7-year deal for some ungodly money, right? You get him for 4 years and you win one Super Bowl in those 4 years, it's the return it. it, the ROI is beyond worth it. You know, and all it takes is one. And who's to say he ever gets hurt? Like, honestly, I mean, he's, he hasn't missed a bunch of time as a quarterback, you know, in the NFL thus far. It's I not like he's a, had He a,
0: missed a few games, didn't he, with um, yeah, that yeah, coming he, in last year?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, he missed a few games. But the other thing is, as well, when you're saying a, as a franchise owner, that might scare you off, the Baltimore Ravens are all in on Lamar Jackson. That entire offense is tailored to what Lamar Jackson can do and what he can't do. So if
2: if you're not going to pay the guy what are you doing you're wasting years of your
1: organization.
2: 100% agree with that. You can I can that's perfectly stated and, and that's why I think it's 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 ridiculous that they haven't paid him yet. I mean this should have been done 2 years ago. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean cuz cuz with the cuz Mahomes set the bar and then what Deshaun got that changed the game completely. He's got an, an another NBA style contract was something that no one ever thought he would have again, ever. And now Lamar's like, okay, well, this guy got in trouble off the field. Okay, Mahomes, yeah, he won a Super Bowl and an MVP, but I got an MVP. But he had more weapons than me. He had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and and a running game. and, And I've had Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins. Yeah, Yeah, I had (laughs) Sammy Watkins, you know, now he's got Bateman who I think is going to be a stud, but it's like, you know, he's still young and okay. And he's got the tight end. Okay. I got Andrews, but I still need, you know, he's still got to develop. Bateman has to develop still. Let me develop with them, but pay me so we can develop together and have the chemistry and cohesiveness because that's going to be a dark cloud hanging over that organization until they, until they figure it out.
0: And the longer it goes, the more awkward it gets for every single person because I know Lamar's been asked about it already this season and it's only going to continue, especially if he's either injured or he keeps on putting up numbers. Whatever happens for him, it's going to change the narrative for one of those two sides and there's always going to be questions about it until it's uh, until it's done, unfortunately, for them. Um, do Miami have, quickly back to Miami, do they have like a real chance this year with what you saw from the offense this week? I mean, as an, an aerial threat, Gazicki is a great tight end for that very reason. Waddle and, and Hill got a little lucky with some blown coverages from the Ravens late on in that game, but in general, are outstanding receivers, as we all know, especially with Tyreek Hill, of course. And McDaniel, you trust, will be able to find a run game in Miami that eventually starts to work, because that's been the missing piece of their offense.
1: I, and I think it still is a missing piece at the mm-hmm. moment until we see otherwise. Um, the jury's out on Mike McDaniel because he's his first time as head coach and you're only two games in. I think he himself came up to the podium on Sunday after the game and said, well, I asked the team to show me what they had playing in adversity. I think they took it a little bit too literally. Um, <laughs> he doesn't heck, sound it inspiring, a thrilling... does he? He's got quite like a,
0: uh, you know, he, he doesn't. But I,
1: I'll tell you from people I know in San Fran and what you're seeing now in Miami, the players love him. Um, and yeah. that goes a, an awful long way. They buy into his ideas um, and believe it in what he's trying to get them to do. And that's then borne out when you're 21 points down on the road to one of the Super Bowl favorites and you you overcome it in, in some style in a fourth quarter, no less, uh, as well. So um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a thrilling ride for the Dolphins, a, a ride that they haven't had in a long time this season have they got enough to go all the way to the super bowl i don't think so but you know anything can happen on any given sunday in this league as we've seen time and time again and if you get to the dance then you know come january you you've got as much chances as anyone else look they've got a team that can make plays if they can get home field advantage through the playoffs it's a big ask but you're playing down in south florida all the time it doesn't get much better than that does it so um they're going to be fun to watch for sure i won't go so far as to say they'll win it all
2: i, I agree and mike's a guy that the players like because he's authentic like what you see with his quirkiness and his sense of humor like he's genuine and, and players kind of gravitated as a player you want your you want your just to have, have transparency honesty and if you feel your coach is genuine if you have those things you're going to be successful that's what makes Mike Tomlin so successful and I think with with Mike he's he is he is a odd duck at times um and but he also like he he also knows when it, when it played up to the media by saying oh yeah adversity i you know it was like okay like that's a good job all right but that's cool um I think they're going to compete in that division though. I mean, cause there's no, I don't think there's any team. I mean, Buffalo is going to be going to win that division. I think fairly easily, but I think that that two through four spot, I mean, are they, are they better than new England? They're more I exciting mean,
0: at the moment. They're definitely more it, fun to watch.
2: Exactly. And in, in the jets, I mean, come on, like, I mean, it's the jets, like, hey that's the nation's I'm... team after they beat the
0: browns this week <laughs> come on everybody wanted wow. joe Flacco to a... that. Sorry, can, can we
1: just say what on earth were the browns secondary doing on on sunday i
2: i, I mean i have a bad yeah, that joke goes... that i
0: won't say
1: <laughs> hey it's all fair on here man
0: you can say whatever to get you it
2: they're me. probably get, thinking about the machazas afterwards <laughs> i mean like
0: <laughs> yo have you seen the browns fans pictures from last weekend I did that. That's grotesque. They're they're easily forgiving Watson. Like they had like blow up dolls on massage tables in the car parking uh, in the tailgate area with like, uh, what was it? Happy endings aren't illegal signs next to it. They had um, two people walking through the stadium with like rub and tug on the back of their jerseys. Like one was rub, one was tug as a number four. Like that is weird. Considering the franchise is a tarnished reputation and no amount of old school logo on the field is going to pave over those cracks of the image Mm -hmm. that has fallen from being the beloved unlucky losers of the NFL to now just awful. But then to see the fans buy in like that is, is kind of upsetting. I'd have thought for the NFL and for a lot of people in general, it's like, it's not that fun a matter. There are serious legal things going on with this guy. You
2: know, you know, So when everything first happened in Houston, I I got numerous texts because full disclosure, Deshaun and his agent and myself were all from the same fraternity. And I got numerous texts from from frat brothers and and heard a lot of things behind the scenes that may or may not have transpired. Um, And. I thought, okay, you know what? maybe Houston's is trying to get him out the league at this point, or maybe because, you know, he has a deal that the owner who's not a good guy himself, the McNair family aren't good people by any means. Um, maybe the owner had a, you know, let's just get him out the league because of his complexion. He shouldn't tell me what he wants to do type deal. Mm. And then when more and more came out and, and Lord knows how many are, are true and how many are false with the allegations, but the fact that, that you're settled with these, with a lot of the, the victims Says that is true, and then how Houston tried to cover it up you know, mm-hmm. a cover up their end, and it, so things start adding up a little differently. And it went from me, like, okay, you know, I've always believed in innocent until proven guilty. Um, and then he start showing signs of guilt. Not now it's like, okay, and when it's, the initial suspension came down for what six games, it, yeah. I thought it was that was it was it, there's no way that was gonna last, and to get. 12 and then to be able to come back and play against Houston game one in Houston, but to get the contract and then to have the Haslam family, excuse it. Oh, we talked to our daughters and like, what is, what does that mean? You know, like, like that made no sense that the contract should have been done differently. You know, he, he would have to get a new deal, but it should have been, it shouldn't have been fully guaranteed for Mm -hmm. 200 plus million dollars. And then, and then, align the way that you know had things worded the way it was for this year going forward and 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 that just shows the haslam family the type of people and and moral compass that they have and if you can go back to look at the university of tennessee they've done when they were involved in there that that place became you know a mess in itself and you know from the browns fans perspective you have to look at it you know i try to put myself in their shoes you have been also rans and have-nots for so long, for so long. And, okay, he's going to miss X amount of games, but you don't only really have an opportunity, maybe once in a lifetime, to get a generational quarterback. And that's what Deshaun Watson is. To me, he's better than Patrick Mahomes, and I don't think it's close. I don't care from arm talent. I'm looking at winning standpoint, what he's done with talent around him. He's done more with less um, from college and in the NFL to me, mm. um, but we can get this type of guy, and okay, you know, if everybody else is going to be against him and he's he's wearing that browns, he's one of us now, so we're going to defend him and we're going to take it on the chin for him. I try, I think that's the perspective, and as sick and twisted as it is, I think that's the perspective that they have.
0: Well, I can understand from speaking with like former players who say. Obviously, I've never asked them about something as serious as what happened with Watson. But when they know that there's somebody in that locker room, it's like, I wouldn't hang out with that guy and have a beer with him personally. You know, there are players that are like that in your locker room and they kind of go, look, I know what he's like off the field and I don't like that. But when we're on the field, we're doing a job together. If he does his job and I do my job and we have success, that's what matters about me going to do my job. And they kind of compartmentalize it in that way. I find it weird how fans can do that, particularly as fans these days as well. We know so much more about the players and individuals and and their lives off the pitch and their personalities around them as well. That's why I think it was so surprising to see. And look, there are always going to be people that maybe do it to try and be extreme and controversial. That's the other thing. There are people that caught this kind of like attention and stuff. But I was just it still caught me off guard, to say the least, to see some of the... Browns fans kind of with that attitude. I,
1: I think also, as well, and this is not to excuse it in any way, shape, or form, but it's just my experience. I've been to Cleveland on opening weekend before. I've um, been in a work capacity around the tailgating area. I've met some of the fans. In a work capacity. Um, yeah, he's having a few still. <laughs> that out. As, <laughs> as the English
0: guy, you still get offered a few drinks, even if you're working. <laughs> Don't
1: worry. You, you do. You're quite right. <laughs> um, but, but, you, you I, I see where we're coming from, and we're coming from um, a standpoint of standards that need to be upheld, um, and a benchmark that can't be dipped below. I I will tell you, no matter what part of the world it is you're in, it's but it's a dangerous thing to ha- judge people by your own standards because mm-hmm. quite quickly you'll find in different parts of the world they don't have the same standards. Some are higher, some you'll deem lower, but they live by different rules um so if you're trying to rationalize it and understand it you're going to take a long time because i don't think you will quite frankly
0: yeah it was it was just funny how we were on this podcast i was chatting with um stand-up comedian josh potter a few weeks ago he was saying that he was going to the bills browns game he's a massive bills fan and uh we were discussing what the bills mafia would do um and it was things like blow up dolls on a massage table and then they jump through it and do that kind of thing as a kind of a middle finger to just sean watson and it's just it's funny how the browns have taken that and they've turned it into their own positive spin almost on the matter kind of thing very uh very interesting to see with them just quickly we've got obviously loads of good games coming up this weekend this weekend didn't feel like a great slate when we were looking at it kind of going into it and it produced some awesome awesome ties to say the least but uh buffalo against miami feels like a big one considering the the victory that miami have just had and the bills look I Buffalo win. They, they do, yeah. but it's do it's they keep it that. close? Do they keep it close?
2: No. No? No. no. I think all. right now, Buffalo is the best team in the league, if I'm being yeah, transparent. Oh, yeah.
1: Judging from the first two weeks. But my, my concern with Buffalo is that they've started the season so well. Opening night, you go and knock off the Super Bowl champs. Then you have a blowout win on Monday night. Football, and everybody's anointing you already as the champions. We're only in September, guys. How many times do you see a team start red hot, and then limp over the line into the playoffs and lose at the first hurdle um, in, in the postseason. And as good as Buffalo are right now, and as well as they've done in the last couple of years with Sean McDermott at, at the helm, that that's my fear that they're peaking too soon.
0: And expectations are so high anyway at the yeah. start of this year. I mean, they were yeah, expected you- to start out the blocks like this. The
1: only way they can go is down almost. It- Four or five months is a long time to live with that heightened expectation, and ultimately, that's what the Bills have got right now.
2: Mm. But I think that that also goes to Josh, you know, Allen's mentality. Like he he's all about those expectations. You know, he openly talks about the past Bills failures and how he wants to right those wrongs for for the Bills fans and Bills mafia, and for the city. You know, I, I don't think I don't think he's I don't think he is personally phased by it, and I think you got Stefan Diggs def, definitely isn't phased by anything anybody says. And so I look at that team, and it's like if anybody's going to have or exceed those expectations, it probably will be them. But you, if you start off hot, you can have a hiccup or two in the middle, and you can get hot again. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what McDermott is kind of was kind of gearing his team for.
1: They need to have but that game look, where they learn from yeah, look the what, adversity. Look what happened with the with the Chiefs in their Super Bowl winning season. They started hot. They had a dip when Patrick Mahomes had a dislocated kneecap for three or four games. And then they got hot again at the end of the year, um, albeit in fairly spectacular fashion through the postseason to come from behind and win it all. Um, If that happens to the Bills, then yeah, there's no reason why they can't win it all um, this time around. But like I say, my one concern is for a young team that has yet to experience that, it's a lot, a lot over a long period of time to shoulder. Week six against the Chiefs,
0: the humbling loss after they've gone five and zero. Go into the bye week, bye week after that, regroup, recover. Bills come out flying again. That's that's the America's game narrative that's coming. I'm sure of it this year. Um, huge game though. Talking to the Chiefs quickly with the Indianapolis Colts for the Colts because that is an embarrassing start to the season with with a lot of high expectations around Indianapolis. But you've got to give Matt Ryan something. Or somebody
1: to throw to, right? I mean, that receiver calls depleted already. There were some drops as well last weekend in Jacksonville, but by the way, that didn't help Matt Ryan out at all. Interesting, I've got a friend who's a big Jags fan, um, and is beaten down by supporting the Jags over the last decade and a half or so. But before last week's game, he came out straight up and said, back the Jags against the Colts this week because the Jags defense is built to stop the run. You stop Jonathan Taylor, you stop the Indianapolis Colts. And lo and behold, what happens, it, it bears out perfectly well. I don't think this is a bounce-back game for Indy against Kansas City. Um, I, yeah, I, I can see the Colts going 0 in three.
2: Yeah, I can too. And, and especially, you know, coming off that loss last week, that was a game they've had circled on their calendar for a while. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they lay an egg like that, I mean – you know uh, and and Matt Ryan why does he always get a pass I mean you have a bunch of talented receivers in Atlanta and he gets a pass well look at
0: look at last year though in the end I mean he lost Julio Jones he lost Calvin Ridley for the indiscretions with gambling he only really had pits and to be honest, didn't get pits working. Nobody's got pits working yet at the moment in Atlanta. I mean, and shocking. let's
1: not forget he lost a twenty-eight-three lead in the Super Bowl as well. but Dave's not That's here. It's not as convincing when the Falcons
0: fan on this show isn't here. It's very frustrating to make those references and not be here but, to be annoyed.
2: But why does he get? A, but why does he get a pass? Like I, I don't understand that. And actually, I blame that as part of that Super Bowl on Kyle Shanahan. He's. Mm. I love the fact that he blows leads in the fourth quarter in the biggest games. <laughs> I, I think I'm not a Shanahan fan at all. I, I think he's. I don't understand why he's the golden child. That's, I don't know. I don't know what he's done to get that moniker. I, that he- I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think it's a given that he's still head coach of the
1: 49ers next season. Um, I, agree. I, I I know that there was some serious pressure mounting last year and he pulls it out in the second half of the season and yeah, okay. They get to the NFC championship game, but they had some luck along the way there, Dallas Cowboys and their incompetence. Um, in the final minute that's they not luck, lose that's it. a
0: given that is a given <laughs>
1: you said dallas <laughs> and, dallas find these and, wonderful and, ways to and, do things they find so many great sorry, ways how to... did it go for the eagles in the wild card last Look, it last was season.
0: ugly all right but that was the old jalen hurts we got the hot cool <laughs> new jalen hurts now not that old uh, sorry i didn't
1: realize it had all been changed and the slate had been wiped clean all. i'm changing um, that wentz jersey from an 11 to a one i'm getting it sorted out don't worry about it <laughs> hey And you you add on to the fact that you know the the decision to trade up for Trey Lance, um, yeah, it it was a a general manager, head coach joint decision that, um, and that you know no secret they're trying to ease Jimmy Garoppolo out of the door. Well, boy, are they pleased that no one wants to trade for for Garoppolo right now because you really would be in the mire. Um, So if if they don't make the playoffs this season, okay, the, the ownership might look at it and say, oh well, you lost your starting quarterback. Depending on how badly it looks, they might also say, okay, it's time for a change in direction.
0: Now, boys, I've uh, kept you on here way too long, so we've gone over an hour already. I can't remember if I asked you about a 16 parlay or not. Uh, If you haven't got one, then don't worry about it, because we uh, will put on the uh, bets from Jazz, myself and Dave at the end of this. Uh, Gents, thanks so much for the time.
2: Oh, see, I got a question for you guys. All right, okay. Okay, and, and I'm being I'm being dead serious when I ask you this. <laughs> Is this a royal family? He's got a big thing. smile on his face here. So no, it's not a royal not family <laughs> question. No, okay, it's right. not. I've
0: had a lot of those from the Americans recently. Nah,
2: so. <laughs> no, i I don't. I don't. I don't get into that because that's that's nothing to do with me. It's not sports related. But she was a hell of I a. I read, <laughs> and she had a hell of a sense of humor too, from what <laughs> I hear. But Harry Maguire from Man U, an article came out today about him, and he's kind of taking shots at current players in – what's the deal with because Mag- i don't i think harry Maguire is overrated i don't i i i don't think he's a, he's a horrible fit for man U to for me um and i'm a, i'm i'm a manchester united fan obviously by saying that of course so, you are you don't live in manchester you fit perfectly and you don't <laughs> and you don't like harry mcguire like every single manchester united fan yeah <laughs> so like what, what what do you guys think about that i know it's not american football related
1: um, I it, it's a divisive subject because I will tell you that he more than likely starts the first game of the World Cup for England because he's never let Gareth Southgate down that being said um, he went to Manchester United with a hefty price tag, nearly £80 million pounds was paid for him um, so that, that brought with it its own weight of expectation as well he's played in ordinary teams and he's made some fundamental elementary mistakes but tie that in with the fact that he's been wearing the captain's armband. Um, And all of a sudden, if you're not turning up representing Manchester United and at least playing well, even if the team aren't, you've got problems. And Eric Ten Hag, the new manager's come in this season and a game or two into it, he's benched his captain. Um, Now I've, I've sat in those news conferences and he's turned around and said, look, if you're playing well, you get into the team. Well, the, the flip side of that is quite clearly he doesn't feel Harry Maguire's playing well enough because he's not in that starting 11. Um, I, I At the moment, un, unless he can somehow rediscover the form that got him the transfer from Leicester to Manchester United, I think there's only one way this is going. Um, like I say, he'll start for England in the World Cup, but what lies ahead in his Manchester United career is up in the air at the moment.
0: See, I don't mind a player calling out other players if they are top of the mountain, standing above others and leading by example on what they do on the pitch. So for Harry Maguire to be performing poorly and then to call out other players, that's when you've crossed a line of you're not being a good captain because you're not leading by example on the pitch and you're not being a good captain because you're throwing other team members under the bus when you're meant to be the guy that if Ten Hag isn't doing it, you're rallying that group of players together, which doesn't show a great level of leadership at all. Having said that, I've always had sympathy for any player that goes from a, a, a side like Leicester City where the expectation isn't anywhere near as high and you perform well at a high level in the Premier League. And then because you're English, you get a hefty price tag slapped on you. I mean, a £40 million defender on the continent will cost you 80 to £100 if you're English, because that's just the way it is in English football for some reason. I don't understand why. In the same way that a really good English manager will be overlooked for any top coaching job by any of the big six, because they're English. There are just weird oddities that come up in football these days. So I've always had sympathy with the pressure and expectation that goes on Maguire. And as you touched on, the the level of performance that he puts in for England time and time again, you can't argue with his international duty, whether he can continually do it and whether the pressure at United because of that has been too much for him, that he had a reasonably young age as well. Maybe that's just had him rattled and frazzled. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of the calling out other teammates. I have to say, I haven't actually seen the story because I've had... My face has been focused uh, and buried in pages of Peterborough United against Port Vale, which, Joe, if you've got ESPN Plus, you'll be able to watch on Saturday as I bring you the League One action that's going global around the world this week. So I may have to do that. Check out the, check out the Brody doing it.
2: Yeah. I have to do it after I watch Wrexham, though, because, you know.
0: Oh yeah, that's the new uh, Yanks have jumped
2: on that. Okay, I, I didn't. Game glory that. supporter. <laughs> 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 I no, the, honestly, I chose them. I, I like. I like Ryan Reynolds. I like. I think he's hilarious. But the, like, I, I, I really started getting into to European football big time. Like, like in the last probably two years. But I, for I've always been kind of a casual fan. But I was like, okay, well, man, you, I like them. You know, when you know Sir Alex was there, and it's an easy like. So like, let me find a team that's really not that good. And then I, I found the backstory fascinating in the early you know 90s and 2000s. And I was like, you know what, like my roof. I'm gonna... And then they end up buying the team like, oh, it's it's a no-brainer for me to like this. So yeah, that's kind of what it is. So, yes, all of us over here in the States have become Wrexham fans, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're uh you're not supporting
0: afc richmond from ted lasso because they don't exist joe americans need to be reminded of that that's a fake. but he's football. in
2: fifa 23 <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is ridiculous that i saw that today absolutely ridiculous um look gents i can't wait to see you both in the flesh at some point rich i'm sure i'll see you around the uh london games hopefully this year yep. um Joe, I will be in California in November. If you can get a trip out from Vegas out to Los Angeles, w- we can hang I out. will be
2: out there. I will be. Just tell me the tell me the tell me the dates and I'll we can We'll sort connect. it out.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. And um look, we'll we'll catch up with both of you during the season when when the Dallas Cowboys are about eight games behind the Philadelphia Eagles and uh... Aren't <laughs> <laughs> <And, and laughs> you supposed to be supposed to be an impartial host here? Yeah, no, that doesn't happen on this. This is a nice thing about this. <laughs> Especially when Jazz and Dave are gone, I can literally do and say whatever I want and not get checked by them at all. So it's great. And I appreciate you boys standing in for them as well because it's a much better, uh, much more educated NFL discussion than I get from those two every single time. So although it's interesting... Yeah, he's always totally
1: Rich... brave when his co-hosts aren't with him, isn't he? <laughs>
0: yeah, for real.
1: <laughs> it's interesting
0: though, Rich, because you have many of the similarities to Jazz, not in looks or anything like that, thankfully for yourself, but more the uh, the anti-Kirk Cousins bias that came through very quickly it, that, that's jazz's like go-to on this so it's all good
1: <laughs> hey hey look i'm just pleased for you that your eagles are doing well you've got a smile on your face because it seems like it's been a long time ollie wow
0: i heard somebody <laughs> say today that they think the eagles are going to win the whole thing i was like it's way too no. early to be saying that way too early but yeah yeah probably but you see happen.
1: just by that answer you're entertaining it oh yeah that hope it kills you i know oh yeah i know <laughs>
0: Just quickly, before we go, we've got the bets, of course, for this week. Dave is taking the Baltimore Ravens over the New England Patriots, the Detroit Lions at plus six over the Minnesota Vikings, the Kansas City Chiefs at minus 6.5 over the Indianapolis Colts, the Vegas Raiders against the Tennessee Titans, the Falcons against the Seahawks, and the New Orleans Saints over the Carolina Panthers, giving him a big juicy bonus of 34.76 to one. As for Jazz, he's taking the Steelers over the Cleveland Browns, the Ravens at minus three against the New England Patriots, the Detroit Lions over the Vikings, the Texans over the Bears, the Eagles at minus four over the Commanders, and the Kansas City Chiefs at minus 6.5 over the Colts, giving him 149 to one. And finally, I'm taking the Titans over the Raiders. The Chiefs at minus 6.5 against the Colts. The Eagles at minus 6.5 against the Commanders. The Falcons to beat the Seahawks. The Texans to beat the Bears. And the Ravens at minus 3 over the New England Patriots, giving me 69 to 1. Those are the bets. That's everything this week. Tune in next week on the Return of Big Podcast.